morning, Fellowship family. You can have a seat. Good morning and welcome, especially to our guests. If you're new here at Fellowship, just want to say that we're glad that you've chosen to worship 
with us this morning. We'd love the chance to meet you, to shake your hand, and to help you get connected. So if you'd stop by the center booth in the foyer this morning after service, we'd love to meet you and get you connected. Well, hey, this week has been heavy in light of everything that's gone on in uh, Israel. And we want to pause and acknowledge uh, what is happening and we want to spend a moment in, in prayer because this matters to God and it matters to us. So would you bow with me right now in this moment as we lift these prayers up to the Lord? Well, God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, we pause right now and we lift up the people and the land of Israel and all those who have uh, been suffering because of the violence of this crisis. And Lord, we do ask for your peace. We ask for your protection. And we ask for your comfort to be upon all those who've been impacted. And we pray this in the strong and matchless name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Amen. Thanks, yeah, Jimmy. Amen. Yeah. Hey, y'all, we have a few things coming up over the next few weeks in our family ministry we wanted to draw your attention to. The first thing we have is Link Retreat, and that is for fourth and fifth grade families and one parent. So it's a parent-child retreat out at New Life Ranch, and that is October 28th and 29th. Let me tell you from experience, this is a great opportunity to connect with your kid and connect with some other families around you. If you cannot stay the night, um, we do have a day option. All those options are available at the site on that link. Um, we also have a couple of parenting classes coming up. Um, next week is a class called How to Talk to Your Kids, and that's going to be over in the Family Center Auditorium. A lot of you guys are like, I have no idea what to do with this tiny human that kind of looks like me and my wife. But no, I'm just kidding. Um, no, we want to give you guys some 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 just talking points to have with your kids, some conversations that you want to have ongoing in your house all the time. Um, how, to, how to really cast some vision for your kids on who they are, their identity in Christ, on um, sexuality, on technology, how to deal with these things, and how to have some ongoing conversations. And so that is what, that's what's going to be happening next week. And then in three weeks, on November 5th, in the same place, Family Center Auditorium, um, we are having a, another class called Helping Your Children, help, or Navigating Anxiety and Depression with Your Child. And so that will be for our, that'll be for our high schoolers, so 6th through, through 12th grade. And we're just going to be talking about just one of the biggest problems that our kids deal with is anxiety and depression. And how do we help them walk through those, walk through those things? Um, for our 6th through 8th grade, that class will take place at 9 o'clock. And for our ninth through 12th grade, that'll happen at 1030. So those are a lot of things we have coming up. Speaking of family, we have a marriage enrichment night that's coming we up. Do, right, Matt. Hey, by the way, how long have you and Carrie been married now? Um, well, we celebrate, we celebrate anniversaries monthly. So oh, we're okay. at uh, <laughs> wow. 24 years. So 24, that's, that's 280 months. It's oh, good. Something well, like do you still date, Carrie? Do you still date her? Yes. Your bride? I love my girl. Oh, I so love that, man. She's well, great. Uh, I, I get to date Meg. In fact, we went two nights ago on a date, and it's, it's something we figured out that a, that a healthy marriage, and I say this all the time, a healthy marriage doesn't happen by accident. And so uh, we want to provide our body here with opportunities to invest intentionally in your marriage to draw closer 
to your spouse and to the Lord. And so this marriage enrichment night coming up on November 5th is an opportunity to do just that. Now, it's been pointed out to me that it's called nighttime a marriage enrichment night when it actually starts at 3.30. 3.30 in the afternoon. I guess I'm just getting older uh, and We're nighttime just... happens earlier. For How me, long is it going to be? Uh, two... <laughs> That's a good point. That's a little bait and switch. We'll keep them for okay. five hours. No, it's two hours, <laughs> under two hours, and we hope that you will uh, sign up. We've got a QR code in the foyer that you can uh, register. It's $10, and register, uh, child care is included in that if you have uh, children. And we've got a special speaker, Ted Cunningham. He's an author. Uh, on marriage books, and he's a pastor and a speaker for Focus on the Family. Uh, excited to have him. I hope that everyone here in this room will consider, if you're married, that uh, you'd make a priority to come to this. Uh, it's going to be it's going to be strong. So, uh, yeah. Hey, Matt. Thanks yes. for teaming up with me today. I'm really excited to uh, to invite my dearest friends. Uh, Precious cornerstone, sure foundation, you are faithful to the end. We are waiting on you, Jesus, for we believe you're all to us. Yeah.
And when this passing world is over, we will see you face to face and forever we will continue to sing about the worth of Jesus Christ. He is worthy. We live for him and we live from him. We live from Jesus. He is our life this morning. Sing it if you know it. Worthy of every. Worthy of every song we could ever sing. Worthy of all the praise we could ever We say you are Worthy of we could ever we live for you, Jesus. We live from you. We sing Jesus, Jesus, the name above every other name, the only name that stands, Jesus, the only one who could ever sing. Worthy, worthy of every breath. We live for you, oh, we live for you, Jesus. Holy, there is no one like you, there is none beside you.
tasted this world and tried every pleasure outside of you i found nothing of measure but no more i thirst no more i seek i found your mercy is all that i need i've tasted this world tried every pleasure and outside of you i found nothing of measure but no more i thirst but no more i seek for i found your mercy is all that i need It's in God's will. I'm going to send Timothy to you very soon so he can come back and tell me how you're doing. That will do my heart good. I have no one quite like Timothy. And he'll be genuinely concerned for you. Not like other people around here who seek their own interests rather than the things of Jesus. But you must know that Timothy has proven himself He's been like, like a son to me in the work of the gospel. I hope to send him to you as soon as I find out what's going to happen to me here. But whatever happens, I trust in the Lord that I will also get to see you. In the meantime, I'm going to send Epaphroditus back to you. He's been a true brother, a companion in my work, and he's been a good friend. You sent him to care for my needs. Now I'm going to send him back to help you. And with him there, I won't worry about you so much.
and he can't wait to see you. He was upset that you heard he was ill and, well, he just wants you to know that he's fine. But he almost died. God had mercy on him. God had mercy on me too because his death would have been unbearable. I can just imagine how great this reunion is going to be. He's on his way, so when you see him, strong and resilient, welcome him in the Lord's love with great joy. Because, you know, people like Epaphroditus, they deserve the very best that you can give. He was at the point of death while doing for me what you were unable to complete. But whatever happens, brothers and sisters, Rejoice. Hold firm to the word of life. Because it is God who is working in you to act and to will according to his good purpose. Would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you for your word. And how and so... You use your word to teach us and to encourage us and to challenge us. Lord, we thank you for your Holy Spirit, and we ask that your spirit would be present right now. Would open our eyes and our hearts to things that maybe we need to grow in, things that we need to change, maybe convict us of sin. Lord, would you center us on you and what you're trying to do in this world? We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, today we are in our sixth week in our series in the book of Philippians. Can you believe it? And we're moving into a passage today that in some ways can be easily overlooked, but I think that by the time you leave today, hopefully you will be as passionate about it as I am. But before we go there, I want to ask you a question. Who do you think the most influential person in 2023 is? Is there somebody, as you start to think about everything that's gone on this year, the, both, both good and bad, who's the most influential person in 2023? Well, I did what you, any good researcher does. I went to Google and I asked, and here's who Google says are some of the most influential people of 2023. I'm not saying they're positive or negative. This, this is no statement whatsoever. But these are, but these are what the internet says are some of the most influential people. You see our, our president and our past president are involved in that. Um, Vladimir Putin. Um, Mr. Beast over here, you may be familiar with him, you may not. I bet your kids are. He's the, the most famous YouTuber on the planet. I don't know anything about him other than he's got his own candy bar, so he must be very influential. If, if you move to the world of sports, sports has been incredible this year. Lionel Messi, it, it's all over the place. The stars were flying to Miami to see him play soccer, and then, and then Deion Sanders comes on the scene and, and just rocks college football. It's amazing, but probably the person who's had the most influence on sports this year just happens to be, where's she at? Miss <laughs> Taylor Swift. 
I mean, it's been amazing. Uh, the NFL's probably so excited because this segment of viewers they couldn't reach, the teenage girls, are all of a sudden interested in pro football. The Swifties. They, they said that Travis Kelsey, or as the teenage girls like to call him, Kelsey Travis, he, he gained a million followers in one, no, yeah, a million followers in one week on Instagram. It's amazing. So these are the influential people. But I want to ask you a question. If I asked you the question, if, who has been the most influential person in your life in 2023, most likely none of these people would make the list, would they? Because I think what the Apostle Paul is going to tell us this morning and what I think is true is that the most influential people are those who are the most faithful to God and to others. And in proximity-wise, they are involved in your life. And what Paul's doing in this chapter two of Philippians is he's giving us four examples of faithfulness. And he starts out with Christ and he ends with Epaphroditus. Well, I'm still having trouble spelling, but we're gonna introduce, we're gonna meet this guy today. And he gives us these, these examples and we're gonna look at the last two and I think they're very important for many reasons. What Paul's trying to communicate is that, that true, lasting influence, deep influence, personal influence, life-changing influence comes through faithful people being faithful to God and faithful to one another. And Paul's going to talk about two of them in our passage today, Timothy and Epaphroditus. They are faithful friends of his. Our text this morning is Philippians chapter 2, verses 19. You can turn there, but I believe that the whole, the whole, the whole of chapter 2 stands on the shoulders of chapter 1, and in particular, this verse 27 of chapter 1, where Paul says, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. And then what Paul does in chapter 2 is he gives us four examples. The first example he gives us is that of Christ. It's powerful. A couple of weeks ago, Caleb walked us through that passage about Christ. And if you haven't listened to that message, I encourage you to do it because it's powerful. It's a passage that would be worth memorizing. And then Paul presents himself as an example of faithfulness. And I don't know about you, but I've always struggled to identify with Paul because he says things so well and so challenging. He says things like, to live is Christ and to die is gain. And I'm, I'm just having trouble. I, I want to be heading towards that, but I'm having trouble just comprehending it. And I think for that reason, Paul knows it. And so he gives us these other two guys. He says, let me introduce you to Timothy and Epaphroditus. Because I want to show you some men who are very faithful to the church. They work out their salvation with fear and trembling. And I think this is going to be, hopefully, as impactful for you as it has been for me. One theologian said this, the Lord is the Christian's model, and they, Timothy and Epaphroditus, are model Christians. This idea of, of example or pattern is very important. Thomas Brooks said, example is the most powerful rhetoric and the, the idea of a pattern is probably more powerful in some respects than a precept or a principle. That for us to have a picture in our mind what a, what a pattern looks like for us in life can be very instructing. One 
expert on leadership, says this, the single greatest tool of leadership is the power of an exemplary life. And we're gonna look at two of those lives this morning. Here's the big idea. The faithfulness of God is often best displayed through faithful people. The faithfulness of God is often best displayed, it's, it's, it's best broadcast through faithful people like Timothy and Epaphroditus through faithful people like you and me. And so we'll pick up our study this morning in chapter 2, verse 19. I'm going to read it for us. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare, for everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ, but you. You know that Timothy has proved himself, because as a son with a father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. So as good Bible students, what we need to do this morning is is just kind of ask some of our questions, who, what, when, where, and why. We're going to start with one this morning, and who's involved here? And so if you kind of highlight the the who's involved, first you see Paul talking about himself, I, I hope in the Lord, to send Timothy. So he's talking about Timothy this morning, to you soon, that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. There's our third group of people. It's the Philippians. It's who the letter's written to. I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare for everyone. So there's this other group of people. He, he, he makes this generalization that everyone, everyone else is looking out for their own interest, and we'll come back to that in a little while. Everyone, others. And the last one, of course, is Philippian believers. And then the person he's not talking about yet is this guy named Epaphroditus that we probably know less about than Timothy. A faithful friend, Timothy. He says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon. Paul has a deep love for the Philippians and he wants them to love each other and others really well. He has prayed and prayed and prayed and he desires deeply to know how it's going for them. I actually think This passage is hard for us to understand because the kind of love that Paul has for Timothy and Paul has for Epaphroditus and Timothy and Paul and Epaphroditus have for the Philippians is almost otherworldly. I actually think it's hard for our minds to comprehend and hopefully when you leave today, it will be challenging. It will challenge you to live your life a little bit different that you try to be a faithful friend like these guys are. Because you know when you see that term faithful friend, you may say, oh, that's kind of sweet. Those guys are good buddies with each other. Now it goes beyond that. That they pray constantly for one another. They've risked their lives for one another. They're not concerned about who gets the glory or who gets the credit or who's in charge. It's really powerful. Paul says, I hope in the Lord to send Timothy to you soon. I love that phrase, in the Lord. I think he uses it eight or nine times in the book. I think it would, would serve us well to live our lives that way. Paul's saying, I hope in the Lord to send Timothy to you soon. Now, this is a little trite, but I think it, 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 it leans toward that. It's, it's actually a saying we use now. You know what I'm talking about? Lord willing. 
If you're one of the folks that's moved into northwest Arkansas or into Arkansas recently, if you, if you see our countryside come out, we might say something like, Lord willing and if the creek don't rise, yeah, welcome to Arkansas. And I know that's trite, but it's, it's, it's leaning towards what Paul's saying. Paul is saying in the Lord that this is the Lord's will, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put what I want under the Lord. I hope in the Lord to come to you soon or to send Timothy to you soon. He also hopes to come to them soon. That I also may be cheered when I receive news for you. You know, we hammer this, do not be anxious about anything. I mean, I'm sorry, do, do, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vacancy. We kind of hammer that. But it's interesting here, Paul's actually saying, hey, one of the primary reasons I want to send Timothy to you is so that I can be cheered up. You see, Paul's got it really going on really tough right now. He's in chains. He's in prison. Things are going tough, and he wants to be cheered up because he knows that he will hear good news from what's going on with the Philippians. He knows there's challenges going on, but he wants to receive news about them because he loves them so dearly. He says, I have no one else like him, and speaking of Timothy, who will show genuine concern for your welfare. And that brings us to point number one this morning. A faithful friend shows genuine concern. Now, a couple things about Timothy. Timothy met Paul, or Paul met Timothy on one of his journeys, his, his missionary journeys. Probably, Timothy's probably from the town of Lystra or Derby. Um, they, they think they became fast friends. Uh, Timothy was raised by a Greek, a fa- Greek father and a Jewish mother, which was probably an interesting household. He may have been formally trained in Greek things, but he was probably at home trained in the things of Jewish. And he was, he was this perfect person to reach both the Greeks and the Jews. And Paul saw something in him that he wanted Timothy to come with him. And from that point on, they were fast friends. They were so close, they traveled together all over. Paul referred to him as a son. They they ministered in Philippi, Thessalonica, Corinth, Berea, Ephesus, and now in Rome. And Paul wanted to send Timothy to the Philippian church so he could figure out what's going on and how they could help. Paul says, I have no one else like him. Timothy was faithfully committed to God. And then he says something interesting. You know that Timothy's proved himself. You know Timothy's proved himself. And so we're going to see how has Timothy proved himself. Point number one, he shows genuine concern. Look at verse 20. I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare. You see, Timothy loves the Philippians, and he loves Paul, and he wants to go check out what's going on with them. And Paul says, I have nobody better than him. I'm in chains. I can't come right now. And Timothy is genuinely concerned for you. He's a Philippians 2, 3, and 4 kind of person. He values others above himself. He cares incredibly deeply for others. And Paul says, I have no one else like him. In the passage, he calls him a son. We'll see in just a moment. He calls him a servant in the work of the gospel. And now he's going to send Timothy as his substitute. It's interesting, this genuine concern. You could write down 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 16 and 17. I want to read it for you. I don't have it on the screen, but I want to read it for you. It says this, Therefore I urge you, this is Paul speaking, Therefore I urge you to the Corinthians, imitate me. 
For this reason, I have sent Timothy, my son, whom I love, for he is faithful in the Lord. He will remind you of my way of life in Christ Jesus, which agrees with what I teach everywhere in every church. You might remember early on in the chapter when Paul writes, if there's any encouragement from being united with Christ, any comfort, any common sharing in the Spirit, any tenderness and passion, then he says, make my joy complete. He wants to hear the good news about them, being like-minded, having the same love, one in the Spirit, and on and on and on. This idea of having genuine concern means putting others' needs before your own. It means, it means literally not living out the things you want in life, but living out the things that God wants for you in life. It means putting people above things. I think that's a big challenge in our culture today. I don't know about you, but I like things. I love to look at Best Buy and see the next thing I want to buy or something like that. And it's, it's literally taking things, I'm taking people and putting it above things. When was the last time you, you did something for someone where you had to go without? It's a great exercise as a family. Maybe your family's saving up for something. And with your kids, you say, hey, we're not going to go on this vacation because we're going to support these people in this way. That's a powerful, powerful lesson. It's a great thing for our heart. And that's what Timothy's doing when he shows great concern. Hey, the thing, second thing he does there is he shares in the mission. Look at verse 22. But you know that Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. Underline that. He has served with me in the work of the gospel. And how has he done it? He's done it like a son would do it with a father, like a faithful son would do with his faithful father. Imagine that perfect thing. I think we have a model for that, don't we? His name's Jesus. As a faithful son does with a faithful father, that's how he shares in the mission. And look what it is. He's not a servant to Paul. He served with Paul. He served with me in the work of the gospel. They're attached at the hip. He goes out, he comes back. You know what's interesting about Timothy is you never see him jockeying in position for position with Paul. He's very faithful to do what Paul instructs him to do as a son with a father. And then a verse that really bothers me. He says, everyone looks out for their own interests. I don't know about you, but that's pretty challenging. What's he talking about there? Because there has to be other people around who are, who are faithful. I mean, you think about Luke. Maybe Luke's out on mission at this point. There's, there's other people. But, and Paul's probably making a generalization, but maybe there's some tough stuff going on. But for some reason, there's no one like Timothy. And I think it's because he's so faithful. He's faithful to what God has for him. You know, I think about my life in my early 20s. Around 20 is really when things started to come together for me. I, I came to Christ, you could say. I grew up in a great family, grew up in church. I just never paid attention. Um, I'm sure no one else is like that. But to, when, when I was 20 years old, someone shared the gospel of Jesus with me. And at first I kind of said, no, nah, I'm, I'm a Christian. I grew up in church. And then it began to kind of work itself out. And what was really cool is there was a few guys around that taught me how to pray. And they taught me how to study the Bible. 
and we spent some time together in the midst of a fraternity house when all kinds of crazy things are going on, I'm beginning to really open up the scriptures and read the scriptures. See, that was a powerful time for me. Are, are there any 20-year-olds in here? Any 20-year-olds? I see a couple hands out there. All right, thank you. Glad you're in church. Think about that 20-year-old. So what's, what's your next birthday? 21, right? That's a pretty big birthday, isn't it? In our, in our culture, that means it's kind of the, the time we move to adulthood. It's a big birthday. Why is it a big birthday? I know somebody in here is like, is he really talking about that in here? Yeah, I am. When you turn 21, it's the time you can actually, for the first time in your life, you're considered an adult, you can adopt a child. So, yeah, exactly. I had to look a long time on the internet. There's all this bad stuff out there. Somebody was like, you can, you can vote? And I'm like, no, you can vote at 18. Somebody else was like, you can fly a plane. No, you can fly a plane at 18. At 21, you can actually legally drink alcohol. You can legally, in the state of Arkansas, you can go to a casino now. You can legally buy tobacco. It's this, it's this rite of passage to adulthood. In a sense, I think we're all turning 21. It's just what kind of 21 are you turning? Are you turning Philippians 1.21 or are you turning Philippians 2.21? Because I don't know about you, but that that 121 is an intimidating statement. To, To live is Christ. And I'm not saying are you there, but are you headed in that direction? Are you headed in the 221 direction? What's 221 say? For everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. And I don't know about you, but that kind of feels like our world sometimes. And I want us to be 121 people. Let's head in this direction, even though we don't have it all figured out. And this is one of those teachings that can feel a little bit legalistic. Man, I just need to work harder. No, it's out of of delight, not duty. You're part of the family. If you're a believer in Christ, you're part of the family. You just need to follow the Lord. Walk faithfully with him. We're all turning 21. What kind of 21 are you turning? Hey, a a, a tool that helps us here at Fellowship, and I know a number of you have seen it before, but it's really helpful. It's called the Spiritual Growth Wheel. And it really helps you analyze where you're at. I know we've got a lot of new folks, but you start off just like physically you start off and you're not alive and you're born. It's the same thing spiritually, that you, you move from spiritual death to spiritual life. You move from spiritual unbelief to spiritual belief. And that comes by placing your faith and trust in Christ. And if that's where you're at and you're trying to figure that out, we're glad you're here. We would love to process with you. We'd love for you to meet and talk to one of our small group leaders or stop by the prayer room today or grab one of our staff. And, but then you move from spiritual unbelief to spiritual belief. You, you accept Christ and you become a spiritual infant. And spiritual infants are characterized by ignorance. You don't know what you don't know. You're just new to this thing. You're happy because you're, you're, you're feeling this thing called the Holy Spirit, but it's also challenging because you might be experiencing some spiritual warfare and you're not sure what that is. And then you move from spiritual infancy to spiritual childhood. And spiritual children are focused on self. I want to grow or I want to go to church at this time, or I want to be a part of that small group because those two people are in there. I want to, I want to, I want to. It's not bad. It just is what it is. 
And then hopefully you grow out of spiritual childhood to spiritual young adulthood. And a spiritual young adult's focused on other people. You start showing up to church not to get what you want out of it, but you're showing up to church because you want to bring someone along. You want someone else to get out. I want, I want to encourage someone while I'm there. You start to focus on others. I'm going to serve. Those spiritual young adults make great church people because you serve. The Samaritan Community Center loves spiritual young adults. But I'm telling you, there's this other quadrant called spiritual parenthood. And just like physical parenthood, spiritual parenthood is you're investing in another person and you're living your life to help that person grow, to help that person achieve. You're, you're, you're excited when they succeed. It's just like physical parenthood, isn't it? It's challenging. It's two steps forward and two steps back, but it's characterized by reproducing your life. And the people in here that I can think of the quickest who, who tend to lean towards spiritual parenthood are our community group leaders and our small group leaders. If you're one of those people, raise your hand. Raise your hand. If you lead a small group here, if you lead a kids' small group, a Celebrate Recovery small group, raise your hand. Keep it up. Nope, keep it up. Raise your hand. Can we tell those people thank you? It takes a lot. I don't know about you, but it's hard to open up your home on a Sunday evening or Wednesday evening or whenever it is, and you got to clean things up. I always tell my wife, let's clean after they leave. She doesn't like that. It's challenging. But what you're trying to do is help others grow spiritually. But you know, the main difference between this half of the spiritual growth wheel and this half, I think, is faithfulness over time. You just keep being faithful. And when you stumble, you kind of pick yourself up, confess it to the Lord, maybe confess it to another person. Lord, I need you. And you, you start walking again. And just that faithfulness over time, faithfulness over time, it becomes delight over duty. We're all turning 21. Which 21 are you turning I think the next three verses are what trip most people up in this passage. You read through the passage. If you happen to read through it this week, you're kind of like, what is this? It almost feels like Paul's making travel plans. He's like this supervisor at work, and he said, all right, you're going to go here. Here's your airline tickets, and you're going to go here. It just feels weird. And here's what I think. I th so he's, he's saying, hey, Timothy, I hope to send Timothy to you soon. I actually hope to come to you soon. That's what Paul's saying. But I think it necessary to send back Epaphroditus. It's a little bit of a challenging statement because what, what, what you could be seeing if you're one of the Philippians is, okay, Paul's going to come. I can't wait to see Paul. He started the church, but he, but he can't come right now. He's in prison. He's in chains. So he's going to send Timothy. Man, Timothy's the best. We love Timothy, but he's not gonna, he can't send Timothy. He's going to send Epaphroditus. Who's this guy? We can't even spell his name. Well, he came from us. We know him. Is he the same guy we sent out? Is he just good old Epaphroditus? And so let's look at that. Verse 25. He says, but I think it is necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, my coworker, my fellow soldier, who is also your messenger. You sent him to me, whom you sent to take care of my needs, for he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and almost died, but God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but also on me to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. There's some terms of endearment there. The first term is brother. 
And that points to Paul. Paul saying, he's my brother in common love like a brother in Christ. He calls him a coworker. That doesn't, that doesn't relate as much to Paul as it does just to the work. He's saying he's a coworker in the work. It's used 13 times in the scriptures, 12 by Paul, and it's always people who worked alongside him. He calls him a fellow soldier. It's related to the challenge they're facing. I want you to note that. He calls him a fellow soldier, and in extra biblical accounts, that fellow soldier is, is that's a term of honor. It's when they're, they're trying to honor a soldier who, who may be equal to his commander, who's done outstanding work, and he calls him your messenger. You see, that word messenger there actually is the word apostle. Not the apostles like that were with Jesus, but an apostle from the church. That he's a, he's a representative from the church to Paul. So do you think he's probably a good guy? Yeah. They're not going to send the lazy guy or the jerk guy, are they? They're going to send the empathetic, the servant, the guy that's in shape, that he's ready to go. And what we see from this passage and what we're going to see is that a faithful friend not only shows genuine concern and shares in the mission, but he also loves sacrificially. If you look there, it says in verse 25, whom you sent to take care of my needs. I think the ESV actually calls that a minister. That word minister or sent to take care of my needs in the Greek is the same root word for liturgy or clergy. What Paul's saying is you sent a clergy to minister to me. And that's what he's done. You sent him to take care of my needs for he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard he was ill. You see, Epaphroditus was incredibly stressed out because the Philippian church had heard that he was ill. And I want you to remember that word ill there. What it means is actually the word weak. And it doesn't pertain so much, I think, to a physical sickness, but some other kind of sickness related to spiritual challenge. It could be physical sickness, but most likely it's this term weak, that he's weak spiritually, that he's faced incredible opposition almost to the point of martyrdom for the gospel. He loves sacrificially. So he's sent to take care of my needs. He's, he's distressed because you heard he was ill. It's interesting there. Paul's stressed out because Epaphroditus is stressed out because the Philippians are stressed out and that stresses Paul out. You see, there's so much care and concern going on there. I think it's hard for our 21st century minds to understand this because we're so busy with our life. I don't think we're doing life like they did. I don't think we're praying like they did. I think this could be very informational to us and challenging to us. That word there, ill and almost died, Epaphroditus experienced a deep illness. It's called asteneo, which means without strength, powerless, or sick, to lack strength, be infirmed, weak, or feeble. And what some theologians think is it's not necessarily a physical illness. It could be, but it's probably not. It's more of a, he was spiritually challenged. He faced such incredible spiritual warfare and almost died for the gospel. What a powerful, powerful thing. 
And Paul calls him my brother and fellow worker, co-worker. He said, God had mercy upon him. He spared sorrow upon sorrow. And then let me close with this. Paul says, therefore, I am all the more eager to send him so that when you see him again, you may be glad and I may have less anxiety. So then, welcome him in the Lord with great joy and honor people like him because he almost died for the work of Christ. He risked his life. That word risk is like is used like he rolled the dice. He rolled the dice with his life. He was all in. He risked his life to make up for the help that you yourselves could not give. And therefore, he suffered astineo. He became weak. 2 Corinthians chapter 12 uses that word this way. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and difficulty. For I am weak, sick, ill, then I am strong. So are we a community of believers who loves faithfully? Are we a community of believers who can step out and, and put others' needs before our own? Are we a community of believers, I think, who, who loves like Timothy and Epaphroditus? I hope we are. Who shows genuine concern for one another and others. Who shares in the mission. Who's willing to sacrifice for what God's doing and minister in your area of giftedness and passion. Who love sacrificially. Who's willing to, to risk it all. To roll the dice. To, to to go all in for the gospel. Are we willing to do that? I hope we are. Let's pray. Lord, we just thank you for your word, even when it's this challenging. We pray that you would move in a wonderful way in our hearts and minds today. I pray that we would be challenged by the examples of Paul and Timothy and Epaphroditus and our Lord and Savior Jesus. And that we would be challenged to be faithful believers in Christ. Help us to respond to you together in word and song.
faithfulness of God is often best displayed in faithful people. What, what about this? What if a letter was written to our church? And the writer was trying to name out some of the faithful people. People who show genuine concern for others. People who share in the mission of God and what he's doing in our area and around the world. People who love sacrificially. Would your name be on that list? Would my name be on that list? I'm not trying to heap a weight on you or legalism. Just what we want you to experience what God's doing to minister in your area, giftedness and passion. And may we be a church full of faithful people. God bless you, fellowship. We've got the prayer room open if you need to process with somebody. Also stop by the booth in the center of the foyer if you have questions or need connection. Have a great week.